a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. We're doing Facebook Live again, a Tuesday edition. Grateful to you for tuning in. I am uh, very excited today for a number of reasons. First and foremost, uh, you know, my radio program, this deal here, Live Mike on KSL News Radio. Uh, Today is the 100th episode. I cannot believe that. I can't believe that it was just uh, in December of last year that my family and I moved back to Utah from Washington, D.C. after a while, and that we are now uh, here together broadcasting the 100th episode. On the program today, we're going to talk about a a number of things. We're going to look at uh, some of the highlights of the program thus far, uh, some of the different stories we've covered in the first 100 episodes. And if I'm honest, it's quite a a list. I I don't mean to, this is not bragging or anything like that, but in the first 100 episodes, we have covered a presidential impeachment. We have covered a major earthquake, a historic earthquake here in the state of Utah. And right now, as you can see under these unique circumstances, uh, we are broadcasting and reporting the details each day of a global pandemic. There are broadcasters who <laughs> spend their entire career and they don't fit those uh, stories uh, into a 20, 30 year run. And somehow we here at Live Mike have been able to pull it off in, uh, in under 100 episodes. So uh, that's either a blessing or a curse. Uh, we'll find out. Um, anyway, we're going to uh, kind of look back on the first 100 episodes. And also, we're going to ask some questions today. I, I tell you, I'm excited. And I'm eager about today's episode of the program, uh, which, as you can see from this little scroll here, a number of ways uh, to tune in today on the air, 102.7 FM, 1160 AM. Uh, we've got an app, the KSL News Radio app on your phone, or uh, as you see there at the end of the marquee, uh, kslnewsradio.com, the website. You can stream that in your home or in your workplace or wherever you are. Uh, otherwise, I'll catch you on the radio. <clears throat> um, so I woke up in a funky mood, and it was because I. I I know that as we move forward in our reaction to this coronavirus, that we will start to realize missteps. There is no way uh, to face something brand new and to get it right, uh, right off the bat. And there was a, a little figure that we heard yesterday from Melva Sign. She is the Uh, She's with the Utah Restaurant Association, and Melva, she's been in the business for a long, long time. I can remember uh, years ago when I was the producer for the Doug Wright Show, any time there was a question about uh, the restaurant industry, uh, restaurants in general, if we had a restaurant-related question, the first and often only phone call we made was to Melva Sign, and uh, she's still in the business of keeping us up to speed and up to date on how things are going for restaurants, and it was yesterday on Dave and Debbie's program that she revealed an estimation uh, being made by her association that when all is said and done, when you and I are standing on the opposite side of this coronavirus and it is nothing uh, but a memory and something in our rearview mirror, that we uh, will sustain a loss of some 25% 
in the restaurant industry. Let me boil that down very simply. Melva predicts and the Utah Restaurant Association predicts that this coronavirus and the way we've responded to it by closing the doors, by imposing uh, such strict and unprecedented uh, requirements on these restaurants, that 25%, a quarter of them will close and never open again. You get that? 25% of Utah restaurants will close their doors and never again reopen them. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because who, who opens a restaurant? You know, think about your friend circle. Maybe you know someone who's opened a restaurant or given it a shot. It is someone who has a dream, someone who finds and takes great joy in bringing food to the table. You know, the people sitting around the table, it's much more than just the meal. All right. You create experiences and memories. And there are those who got into the business of being a restaurateur to create those experiences and those memories. And the way we've responded to this coronavirus will mean that a quarter of all of those people who had that dream will find that dream stamped out. It will come to an end. And I don't know. And I don't know if we can yet know if we have made the right choice. And that the cost uh, has been worth what we have gotten for it. Now, I know, I know that it is very easy to, to call me a monster, or at least to, to call those who are asking these questions monsters, uh, because the gains here are measured in uh, human lives and in health. And I am 100% sensitive to that. But I also know, after having many, many conversations with those in the mental health industry or in the mental health space and also law enforcement, that there are some unintended consequences that can be measured in domestic violence and in suicide rates. Those two numbers are going up right now and it breaks my heart. Anyway, I just want you to know that that's what I woke up this morning thinking about. That's what I woke up this morning wondering if we are going about this the right way. And what I do know, what I know with certainty as the, is that it is too early yet to know the answer to that question. We can't know. Because that word novel, the novel coronavirus, the novel element of that means that this is unknown and that the way that this deal spreads is unknown and that the way that it is combated, or at least the way that we uh, someday develop maybe a herd immunity or a vaccine, uh, we don't quite know the pathway to a successful scenario on that front. Anyway, so that's just to set the stage for a a few questions I want to ask you. The the first one, let me turn off this little scroll here at the bottom. The the first question I want to ask you is about the wearing of masks. You know, that there is a program in place right now uh, by Governor Gary Herbert, um, uh, which is, uh, one second, sorry about this. Um, It has to do with uh, the wearing of a mask and uh, whether or not uh, Utahns here are are comfortable with wearing a mask and if they Uh, have the ability to get their hands on a mask. And because that's a a big question mark, uh, the governor, along with the coronavirus task force, has put in place uh, a program to make sure uh, or to allow for every Utah to have a mask. Uh, About a quarter million, or I'm sorry, a half a million, rather, masks are being sewn together by a Cotopaxi, you know, that's uh, 
uh, that outfitting uh, operation here in the state of Utah, clothing store, um, they're putting together half a million. And uh, through other partnerships and agreements, uh, there are another million and a half being put together. And so through this program, which you can access at coronavirus.utah.gov, you can get your hands on a mask. That is if you can't afford one, you don't have access to one, there's no one in your uh, social circle or familiar circle who can lend you one. Uh, there are masks available to you. And the state of Utah and the coronavirus task force is asking uh, that you do that if you are if you are out and about in a place where social distancing is uh, is is either impossible or a challenge or whatever. And I have been out a few times. We've been to the grocery store a few times. I've uh, done a few hikes, and I have seen that there is a divide. It is not yet a, a universal practice uh, by those. Uh, out there wearing masks. And I wonder why. You know, I keep an eye on Facebook. Part of my job here is to, uh, you know, make sure I I do my best uh, to keep a finger on the pulse of how folks are thinking and uh, what's going on and uh, what, to what degree are folks adhering to the advice uh, handed down by the governor. And I have noticed uh, that for some reason, for some reason, I can not yet understand the wearing of a mask and the prevalence, or, or at least the tendency for one person to wear a mask over another, is for some odd reason uh, divided along political lines. Oddly, if you are a, a conservative person, uh, or maybe even a libertarian person, you are less prone to wear these masks. Uh, and uh, on the other side of the scale, uh, or if you find yourself on the other side of the, the spectrum politically, uh, there is a higher tendency for you to wear that mask. And that is an overgeneralization. It is not uh, by any means the absolute rule. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, you, you hear about and you see news coverage of these, uh, the protests. were, for, and, and I'm not talking just about Utah, okay? I, I'm talking about nationwide. Um, you see the gathering of uh, protesters that accuse the government of being engaged in tyranny and oppression and uh, and all those types of bad words that you could apply to a, an oppressive government. And when you see those folks gathered together, uh, no masks. And the social distancing is being uh, disregarded. And people are standing in very, very close quarters. And I would be curious from an epidemiological standpoint, uh, if, and this is a crazy thought, but uh, I, I wonder if once all is said and done, we are able to measure the prevalence of the spread of this virus uh, in terms of political ideology. I, I know that's insane, and it's probably you know a, a question uh, that you might hear and say, um, that is really only based in uh, a rabble-rousing mentality. You're, you're only asking questions like that to cause trouble. Uh, I'm really not. Uh, if there are uh, you know, concentrations of attitudes uh, which can be identified due, based on one's ideology, I wonder if that will be a way for us to, again, once this is all behind us, once coronavirus is a thing of the past, or at least we have it under control uh, thanks to herd immunity or a vaccine, I wonder if there will be some way to know which group had the right attitude. 
How do you measure that? I don't know, because there are so many factors. I mentioned the uh, the, the unfortunate realities uh, that are being uh, revealed in domestic violence numbers. Uh, I There are suicide rates that are starting to be observed. Uh, and then there is, of course, uh, the, the death rates of those uh, losing their lives as a result of the coronavirus. So uh, anyway, that, that's just some of my thoughts here this morning. I have a few other uh, questions. Uh, I am on today's radio program. Uh, let's see what time. Just after 2.20, I'm going to be speaking to a friend of mine, Dr. Mobley. He's been a, pro, uh, a guest on my program a, a number of times. And he, you know, Dr. Mobley, he's a doctor, all right? Uh, fide doctor. And uh, he and I had a conversation the other day, and it was about uh, data. Uh, specifically, what type of data or which numbers uh, which are emerging to measure the uh, coronavirus and the spread of such, uh, which are the important numbers to follow? Which are the real indicators of our success in combating the coronavirus? And uh, he, he helped me understand something. Uh, he talked to me about some of the numbers that we are following and how they may not necessarily be helpful. Uh, and he talked about uh, cumulative data. Cumulative data is, it, it, those are the numbers that can only increase. So, for example, the number of deaths attributed to the coronavirus, that is a number that can only increase. Uh, you know, folks aren't going to return from the dead after they have lost their lives to the coronavirus. Uh, another one is the number of uh, positive uh, tests of those positive uh, or those individuals who've been tested for the coronavirus, uh, the number of positive uh, tests can only increase. The number of hospitalizations as it's being presented here in the state of Utah and elsewhere, uh, that's a cumulative number that can only increase. And as numbers grow, they seem each day uh, to be scarier, more and more scary. And that incites fear or induces fear. Anyway, uh, I don't want to get too far down this road. I just want to invite you to be tuning into the radio just after uh, 2.20 today as we speak to Dr. Mobley. Uh, he's going to talk to us uh, about these cumulative numbers, uh, and then uh, I intend to ask him, all right, if that's the case, if these numbers are not necessarily helpful, what are the numbers uh, that folks like you and me should be focused on in order to get a good grasp on, uh, uh, on the numbers and what data is important? Uh, and what is the important number for you and I to follow and to keep an ear out for? Uh, and anyway, a quick little preview. It's going to have to do uh, with hospital capacity. It's going to have to do with demographics. Uh, and it's going to have to do uh, with the prevalence uh, of testing. So that's coming up on the program. Last question I want to ask before I sign off of this uh, little Facebook Live is whether or not it's appropriate to compare uh, COVID-19, the coronavirus, to the flu. We have, uh, from a number of angles, heard uh, both uh, comparisons being drawn between those and then those who, who say that it is entirely inappropriate uh, to, to make comparisons like that. State Representative Paul Ray, uh, last night, uh, he posted up on Facebook a, a rather lengthy uh, analysis of flu numbers compared to the coronavirus numbers. And so he is, you know, one of those in the camp where we're drawing these comparisons is, is very important to him. And it is 
uh, informing his attitude. And let me read to you just the first sentence of his Facebook book. And I've shared it to, to my Facebook. So if you go to Lee Lonsberry, the live mic page, you will find uh, a link to this post by uh, Utah State Representative Paul Ray, uh, a good friend of mine, a good man. Uh, he's been in the state legislature for a long time and has had some uh, remarkable success there. And he last night started a, a very lengthy, lengthy analysis of uh, the coronavirus versus the flu. And he did so from the perspective uh, of his assignment as a task force member on this issue. Uh, he's also chair of the Social Services Appropriations Subcommittee. He's responsible for the budget of the state health department and various appropriations made to local health departments. He has access to information that you and I uh, you know, may not readily uh, have access to. And he starts his post this way. He says, government needs to admit that it overreacted and completely reopen Utah. Let me read that again. Government needs to admit that it overreacted and completely reopen Utah. Then he goes on to compare the data that he has been able to receive uh, from the various health departments around the state uh, to what we are now learning about the coronavirus. He is going to have a conversation shortly with uh, Dave and Debbie uh, on the air and I am going to re-air many of his comments because I, I think it's important to, right now at least, to start to you know, think a little more critically. Uh, we are, as the days tick by, getting better understandings of how this coronavirus uh, is impacting us. And we are starting to feel uh, very, very seriously the economic impact and the remarkable disturbance on our lives and livelihoods as a result of this coronavirus. And while we measure uh, deaths <clears throat> directly attributable to the coronavirus, we are now starting to uh, collect data, secondary data, these unintended consequences, the secondary uh, and tertiary effects of our reaction to this. And we are able in some cases to measure it also uh, in deaths domestic violence, and suicide as the economy crumbles and as we pay uh, the heavy price economically uh, and in terms of jobs and businesses and livelihoods and security in the home uh, uh, in the way that we respond to this coronavirus. It's, it's a heartbreaking thing, and, I, and I'm uh, talking real somber, and I you know, maybe ought to be a little more lighthearted here on, uh, on the Facebook Live, um, but... I just woke up this morning a little bummed out because I don't know if we've gotten this right. Uh, let me um, <clears throat> let me walk through a few comments uh, that have made or that have been made, uh, and uh, and I'll just I'll, I'll leave it at that, and I'll sign off, uh, and then you and I'll get together uh, on the radio. Uh, Mike here says thanks for addressing this. I listen. I'm a dumb guy. I don't know about numbers. I'm not sure even you know what the right answer to any of this is. I just know that as the days tick by, I have more questions. And I think as the days tick by, it is becoming more and more appropriate to question uh, those who are uh, guiding our response here in the state of Utah. Uh, so, um, so thanks uh, for that. We're going to continue to address this. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what 
uh, Representative Ray has to say to uh, Dave and Debbie on their program right now. I'm also uh, looking forward to a conversation that I'm going to have with Dr. Uh, Stephen Mobley, a, a friend of mine uh, who is following these issues, and he's uh, you know, in the medical community, he's dialed right in. So uh, hopefully between the two of them, we can get a little more clarity today. Um, uh, Ronald says the important number is per capita testing, uh, positives, deaths, and hospitalizations. I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you 100% on per capita testing uh, and also per capita deaths. There uh, is a, a piece of data that I've been following for the past while, and it has to do with exactly that. Let me pull it up. Um, uh, and it gives uh, a look at how Utah is, is comparing. So let me see. Right here, uh, we have, it breaks it down per million uh, in population. Uh, right now, Utah is in fifth place. We have the fifth lowest uh, rate of per capita deaths, uh, those uh, per million who have died as a result of the coronavirus. Right now, here in Utah, uh, 16 per million are losing their lives. Uh, as a result of the coronavirus uh, in the in the United States, Montana, Alaska, Wyoming and Hawaii have lower per capita death rates um, here in Utah. Sixteen. And just to put it in perspective, New York right now uh, has a per ca- or a per million uh, death rate of twelve hundred and eighty three. New Jersey, it's eight hundred and ninety five. Connecticut, it's seven hundred and fourteen. Massachusetts, it's 599. New England is getting hit pretty hard. Uh, They are responding to things the way they are. Here in the state of Utah, our per million death rate is 16. Now, testing. Ronald makes a good point and highlights uh, the importance of of testing. I do believe that testing uh, is a very useful and necessary way for us to understand exactly how uh, this deal, this coronavirus is being spread and how our efforts uh, are being uh, or how you, how effective uh, our efforts are being. Now, per capita testing, I said that Utah is in, uh, at least in the per capita deaths or per million deaths, uh, we are faring well in fifth place. Uh, we are also in fifth place when it comes to per capita testing, and that is remarkable. We here in the state of Utah per million have the capacity or rather are right now testing at a rate of 41,000 per million. You hear from uh, state officials, those who are administering these tests, and they say that any Utah, uh, that there is a test for you. If you are demonstrating any of the symptoms, you can be tested. So so if you've got symptoms, go get tested. That's wonderful. Uh, And then hospitalizations. You remember when flatten the curve was the was the big deal? Remember when flatten the curve, crush the curve, stomp on the curve? That had to do with hospital capacity. That had to do with how many individuals were in hospital receiving care, and the curve <clears throat> that we needed to flatten uh, was to do anything that we could so that we were not stressing hospital capacity. If the the big fear early on was that if we found ourselves in a circumstance where hospital capacity was tested, if uh, there were too many people in the hospital 
uh, or if people were showing up to receive care and the hospital had matched or had maxed out its capacity, that that would be when we would really start to see some trouble. Uh, think of Italy. Think of some of those videos of healthcare workers walking through ICUs uh, where beds were uh, side by side by side and there was nothing but ventilators being heard. And even in the hallways, there were uh, people being treated. Uh, they, they exceeded their capacity. Uh, to care for folks who were turning up for help. And uh, that's what we had hoped to, to avoid here in the state of Utah. And I think uh, for the most part, we have done a good job. When we speak to Dr. Mobley today, uh, I, I believe he's going to highlight this issue. We're going to talk about the importance of hospital capacity and how do our ICUs look right now? How do uh, hospital beds, uh, w- w- what percentage of them are being occupied right now overall? And then specifically when it comes to those being treated for the coronavirus. Uh, if that number is low, if that percentage is low, we are in very good shape. And I believe that all indications are right now uh, that we do remain in, in pretty good shape. Let me have a, uh, another look at a few more of these comments. Um, now, now, Trent makes a good point. Um, <clears throat> how about we leave politics out of this? That is, and maybe I wasn't too clear about what I was saying earlier. I don't believe this should be a political issue. I. Uh, it, it shouldn't. Of course not. The question you ask, how are coordinating polit- how are you uh, coordinating political statement to a microorganism? A- absolutely. Right. Th- this virus, the little germ spores, they are no respecters of politics. They're respecters of no one. Uh, and so that I, I, you know, if what you're saying is that politics have no place in this, I agree with that 100 uh, percent. And my point, or at least what I was bringing up earlier, is really that uh, it, it is a giant question mark in my mind how that the reaction to this coronavirus uh, somehow has uh, broken down right now along political lines. If you look in Washington, D.C., the Senate, uh, which is controlled by Republicans, is in session. Uh, The House, controlled by uh, Democrats, by Speaker Pelosi, uh, is out of session. And if you speak to uh, these various uh, politicians, as I do, uh, you know, on my radio program, you see that uh, depending on their political allegiance, uh, their political party, uh, they have different reactions to that. And I am also seeing that in society, uh, communicated on the social media, uh, communicated on the evening news, communicated by guests to my very radio program. And then in the personal lives and the personal expression, if you click through your uh, Facebook feed, I'm sure you might see the same, uh, the same manifestation of a divide. And, uh, and politics somehow, for some reason, inexplicably, uh, you are able to uh, uh, see a, uh, a correlation between how individuals are reacting to this coronavirus, the types of questions they're asking, uh, the types of frustrations they are feeling, and their political uh, affiliation. I I would love to leave politics out of this, Trent. I don't believe it has any place uh, in this. <clears throat> um, maybe maybe it is appropriate to uh, to allow politics to rear its head in our analysis of, a, of the government's reaction to this. Uh, but, you know, politics certainly uh, will not steer uh, the course of this, uh, of this virus. So thanks for that. Uh, thanks for helping me clarify what I was trying to say uh, earlier. Uh, anyway, I uh, have run out of time. I am grateful to you for tuning in today. Um, if you get back uh, on the radio just after one o'clock, I'll be, uh, I'll be broadcasting my program from one o'clock to three o'clock. Uh, We're going to talk about these issues at greater length. Uh, Also, it's my 100th episode today. I will have 
uh, hosted 100 episodes of this uh, relatively new program here on KSL News Radio uh, today. We'll be speaking uh, with a friend and mentor of mine, Doug Wright. I want to uh, ask him how things were going for him and what uh, his career and mentality was like uh, when he was at this stage in his career. I hope to. I, my hopes are that you and I uh, get to hang out for years and years to come. Uh, I know I stutter and stammer and have a hard time keeping my thoughts all straight, but you're helping me uh, straighten that out. Uh, KSL is wonderfully generous for allowing me to ramble on each day for a few hours and try to uh, turn myself into a talk show host. And I'm uh, doing everything I can to get better and better. Uh, So in in parting, if you've got any advice for me, if you've got any guidance for me, if you have any uh, tips as you uh, have listened to, to talk radio over the years, Uh, On my 100th episode, I'd be very grateful if you would leave uh, some comments right here on how I can get better, uh, on how you and I can strengthen our relationship as uh, as a talk show host and uh, listener. I really want it to be a collaborative effort between uh, me and you. So help me with that. And uh, and hopefully we'll have hundreds more episodes that we can share together. So that's that. Uh, One to three on the radio, 102.7 FM, 1160 AM. Uh, or online at kslnewsradio.com, or on the cell phones via the app, the KSL News Radio app, powered by Any Hour Services. I'm going to sign off. I'll see you on the radio at 1, and I'll see you back here on Facebook Live tomorrow at 10. Take care.